Hey, welcome to the DHF Podcast. I'm Sam. I'm one of the hosts here. I'm pastor at the Fountain Christian Church. I'm also a board member with DHF. And with me is Rick. Hey, I'm Rick Grace. I am the church liaison for DHF. Been in that position for about three years now after being 40, almost 45 years in pastoral ministry. Um, Sam's my boss, so thanks for the invite to join you, Sam. <laughs> and my name is Joe Ensley, and I'm a pastor in rural Kansas with a small to mid-sized church, as I am told. Uh, and I am not on the board of DHF, but my church is a part of the Disciple Heritage Fellowship Group, uh, which is how we came into contact with Mr. Rick Grace and Sam at our uh, conferences. We're glad we did. Well, Joe, I think my first question is, is how did you get out there in Kansas? Because from my understanding, that was not where you're from. You know how, how God told Jonah he had to go to Nineveh, and then everything Jonah did, he tried to go away, and God just put him there? It's, it's a lot like that. Uh, my wife and I uh, were looking for the right church, and then we found this one. And um, the interim pastor had misspelled his email for two years, so they hadn't had any applications. So they were really glad when mine came through. And um, then when they did, they asked how I found him, and we could not replicate the search on Google. So I just have to take it that the, uh, the Lord decided he wanted me in the land of cornfield and cows. So here we are. Besides pastoring, uh, I hear you have a YouTube channel. I am somewhat familiar with it, actually. Yes, yes. Sam and I have collabed before on worship lyrics. Uh, and so we have a video out about that. If anybody wants to go look at that, I can uh, put the link to that video in the description of this one. And uh, yes, so I know Sam from DHF conferences and we've done YouTube and I'm also involved. I'm on the board for a restored life counseling center that's based out of Washington state and has offices in Arizona as well right now. Uh, so I try to be involved in internet and other things besides just living in my little bubble if I can. Well, because our, our topic for today is, is building a worship set and just evaluating worship lyrics and things like that. And then since that's what you do, I'm curious, how did you start that YouTube channel? Or maybe why did you start that YouTube channel? My YouTube channel uh, originally started as a way for me to get some preaching out there because I really had that fire for preaching, but I had no place to preach um, at one point in ministry life. So I went out to the backyard and would preach to the squirrels. And then my wife uh, would say, why don't we just record it? So that's how the YouTube channel got started. And then we just got more and more into it. And my first uh, studio was a storage shed with no power. And I just had some little LED shop lights in my phone. And then it's just kind of grown from there. And now I have a home studio. And for me, the music thing. My bachelor's degree was in church music with an emphasis in classical guitar performance. Very fundamentalist, uh, super conservative background there. Uh, so we did like the hymnology classes. You had to memorize all the old names of the tunes and all that stuff. And so as I've kind of grown out of that and headed into modern worship, uh, I just have a really solid love for theology and for music. And I care about what we sing and why we sing it as a musician. So I have a whole series on my channel called the In Case You Mystic Theology Check of Our Modern Worship Songs, which basically just evaluates song on based on, all right, is this song a great song to listen to in my car or would this be good for congregational worship and what makes that difference? Also, uh, let's look at this song and then let's uh, John 424 is my key verse for that. We're to worship in spirit and in truth. So these songs need to be true. And so obviously a lot of the songs that we use in our churches are not ones you see on the radio um, because the songs on the radio aren't generally great congregational, solid theological worship songs. But then the, uh, the reason I'm happy we're having this conversation is because there's a disconnect because our congregations expect to sing in church what they heard on the radio that week. Um, and many of them are like, well, why don't we do this? Why do we do that? Uh, what's the point of this? Oh, that song's really 
really old. Why would we do that? There's no old people here that want that. Uh, so I love the philosophy behind uh, worship and why we do it. So I'm really happy that we get to be here and intersect with some of these other great minds on it today. <laughs> hey, let me a follow up question on, on, on that one, Joe. I was, I was in a, a church, DHF church here a couple of weeks ago. And they very contemporary style of worship. But one of the first songs that they were singing, even though Nancy and I knew it, we really couldn't sing along with it. Um, it, it was a it was a popular song, but it doesn't fit well in a in in you know, for congregational singing. Right, right. So, what are the things that you look for to make sure that quote song that that you've heard on the radio actually would fit well in a Sunday morning set? Oh, well, first of all, you're going to look for several big things. Number one is a non-complicated melody line. Uh, if you listen to any popular song on the radio, they're going to sing verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And what's going to happen is that second verse, the melody line changes. Why? Because that's engaging and that's in interesting to us. Uh, that makes it really difficult for congregations to catch on. And no one knows, well, which melody are we singing this time? Also, I look for, uh, can I put it in the right key? Because most of my congregations aren't going to be able to think, sing above a D or E comfortably on the treble cloth. So you want to keep it in the right range for your people. You want it to be repetitive. You want it to be very simple. You want it to be the kind of thing that can be caught on quickly and sung quickly by non-musicians. And I think that's where we lose it. A lot of our songs, Chris Tomlin is probably, uh, I was reading an article about the guy. He is the most sung hymn writer of all time, mainly because of the time he's in and the way media can get out. But also the thing about Chris Tomlin is if he sings it uh, on his recordings, he sings it really high for him. Uh, but almost all of his songs are written for congregational worship. They're repetitive. They're easy. They're simple. They're very quick to pick up. And then they have a very clear message that we can figure out. So when I look for congregational type things, what I'm hoping for is something that a non-musician will feel comfortable singing very quickly, that that melody will get stuck in their head very quickly, and then we can move forward. Um, and then that's why when people come up and they want to sing something and you're just like, look, that person's an insane vocalist and th that melody is nuts. And that, that is just not going to happen. Maybe my worship team can pull it off. But the point of my worship is not that my worship team pulled it off. The point of my worship, a successful metric, is that my congregational sang it. My congregation sang it. And if we lose power in the church and all you can hear is the roar of your congregation, you got a good worship song. If you lose power and all of a sudden it all goes dead, well, maybe, <laughs> you know. So that's where I'm at on that. Good. Appreciate that. Thank you. Do you lead, at, you were talking about, you know, very specific music terms that are above me. Like I have actually two worship leaders at two different services right now, and they mostly pick their own music. And I just am looking at the lyrics. If it's a new song, something like that. Uh, so when you were talking about some of those things, they're frankly something I don't understand as a pastor who doesn't have musical skill. Do you lead worship as well? I do only because I'm one of the few people that can do it. But what I've done over the last two years is try to create a culture where I'm not actually the lead. Um, technically, I am leading uh, through my guitar, but we have different people on every song leading that are common lay members of the congregation that are at the lead mic. Um, now, of course, I help lead all the time and I help them with that. But honestly, for that question, as a pastor who doesn't have those music skills, um, you need to talk about your worship philosophy. Most young, happy, excited worship leaders have the celebrity mindset. 
I'm the one I can sing. I've been anointed. Let's go. That guy is, is not going to be watching your back on this. You want someone who comes in and says, I want to find ways to get that grumpy guy in the corner who never sings. How can we get him to sing? That's the worship leader you want. You want to foster that culture amongst your worship staff because then they stop thinking, well, this is my favorite range for this song because it fits my voice. It's not about fitting your voice. It's about fitting the congregation's voice. And if you live in certain areas where education might be higher, or there's a large degree of musicians, several symphonies, that congregation is going to be able to handle different music than your congregation in rural Kansas, um, who has only sung along to George Strait on their radio. Uh, so you really have to fit your congregation and know what's going to work with them. But ultimately, if you got a worship leader that knows music, if their heart is to help the congregation sing, they should be doing all this for you while you take care of most worship leaders. And this is a whole nother thing, but most worship leaders don't have a heart for theology. They don't want to get slowed down by all that. Um, and whether or not that's a good thing, that's between them and the Lord. But as the pastor who's trying to cover them on the theology side, then they can cover you on the music side. But if everyone's philosophy is we want everyone to sing truth well, then you should find the right balance for your church with the gifts God's put in there. Kind of a follow-up to that. Um, how, how would you recommend somebody kind of filling both shoes, the pastor and the worship leader interact? Like I, I've seen where I've been in churches where there is just no connection whatsoever. And when there happens to be a connection with the hymn or the song sung with the message, they, you know, they praise the Lord and say the Holy Spirit to put it together. And then other times I've been in places where every single song is selected per the sermon. And that's what they're fitting it to. Where would you fall in that range if maybe you weren't kind of doing both, but having that knowledge? You know, it's funny. I went to a conference and I heard Mark Dever talk about this and his worship leader is just a phenomenal dude. And his worship leader is not allowed to pick a single worship song. Mark Dever picks it like eight months out. And I thought to myself, well, man, if you've got a gifted worship leader, hopefully you could trust him a little more than that. But I think that's one side of it where it's a little too much. And then also you see where it just goes crazy for me. Um, actually my goal at our church is to raise up, you know, if, if I had the opportunity to have a paid worship leader and that was their thing, that would be awesome. Um, but what, in, in my context, that's not happening anytime soon. So I'm actually trying to develop the whole team. And so I micromanage our song list. Um, and so that's where I start with it, but then I communicate with the whole team and everyone leads the song that they want to lead that fits them. We have, we, we play old gospel songs. We call them the overalls, overall songs. And the guy that always wears overalls, we always laugh and we're like, all right, Dave, it's your turn. This is an overall song. We just know he loves those old songs and that's his thing. Um, and so it's actually worked really well. And I think for pastors in small, smaller churches, rural churches, this is very much their set. I mean, just straight up believe that God's given you the gifts that he wants your church to have at this time. Take your click tracks out of it. Take the nonsense out of it. Whatever instruments you got in your congregation, and it's surprising how many people will be willing to sing when you say, hey, just come sing with us. It'll be fun. No big deal. Um, I had people just crawl out of the woodwork, not even musical. They just wanted to be a part of the music team. And so for us, like I said, I manage our song list. And whenever I, I told her, we have a gal that's growing into that worship role hoping for her to take over a lot more leadership over the next year or so. Um, and I told her one of the biggest things you have to get good at is saying, let me check that out because you're going to get so many requests for what people need to do and how they want to do it. And you just get good at saying, well, let me check that out. And so we find ways to help everyone get a piece of something and we just sort of do it that way. But 
For me, what should that dynamic look like is it should be highly relational and it's really going to depend on the pastor and his gifting and the worship leader and his gifting. Um, but like I said, if that core belief is we want the congregation to sing truth together well, um, then you will find what God's plan is for your church. So, so what, what might be, and I think you kind of pointed at it already, the next step for, for you in working with your worship leaders um, when I was still local church pastor, I, I okayed every song. I didn't necessarily pick it, but even uh, we had four different, in this particular context, we had four different worship leaders and each one had their own team. So they each led on a Sunday. But as soon as they got the worship set together, it had to go by me more for, more for the theological, the lyric check than just the um, some of the pragmatics of actually leading the song. So how do, you, how, how do you plan on raising up that young gal to be the one who will be the, the that has the acumen that you want mm-hmm. to be able to pick that set looking through a theological lens? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, the, the loss of canon of hymns with the hymnals is kind of a sad thing. Um, and I'm a young guy, so I guess it's weird to hear me saying that. I love projectors and modern worship and chord charts. I do. Um, but I also recognize that there's a bunch of people in our congregations where uh, blessed assurance got them through some hard times. And we need to make sure we're reaching our whole congregation. So when I look at this, I say, okay, who's the worship leader in the Bible? I've got Asaph. I've got David. I've got the Psalms. And what did... Uh, what did um, I think it was in Colossians 3.16, Paul talks about this and he says, you're going to admonish each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So for me, that's a pretty simple question. Uh, I have three categories of songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but I live in the 21st century. So I've added two categories, old gospel songs. They're not really hymns. It's like the I'll fly away kind of deal, Um, but people love to sing them. And then I've got new hymns. So there's a difference between great is thy faithfulness and in Christ alone, modern hymn, old hymn. And so what I tell my worship leaders, we sing six songs of service at our church, and we've got five categories. And I tell the worship leaders and they can pick whatever they want. I said, here's the spreadsheet of the songs. I've I've made sure every song on this list is okay. Um, I've decided theologically this works for us. Um, And then I say, if it's your turn to lead worship, you pick one song from every category. You got a psalm, an old hymn, a new hymn, a spiritual song, and then an old gospel. And then the the sixth is a freebie. You pick whatever you want and you can look at the passage. You can really feel like the Lord's been using that song in your life. Um, And so I've given them categories. And so for each service, we have I really believe in blended worship, the balancing of lots of genres and dates and decades. And so I say, hey, pick one from every category and then take a freebie. And I'm good with all these songs and you put it together how you like. And that's what we do. (laughs) Oh, man, that answered questions I was going to ask. We're potentially we've tried for a while two distinct services, Mm -hmm. but I'm not 100 percent sure that it's working. And there is something you miss when some of the young people coming in the door don't get some of the hymns. I love modern stuff, but like I rocked my babies to I'll fly away when it oh, was yeah, gotta love any it. baby time. That's how the baby went to sleep. And in fact, when I hold kids in our church now, like little babies, I was holding one uh, this past Wednesday night as we were doing VBS decorations. I'm sorry. That's an old term. Kids camp decorations, whatever you want to call it. I'm singing <laughs> I'll fly away and humming it. And I want them to know those. So you do like blended worship. Do you get, have you gotten pushback from that? Cause a I, lot. I do a lot. 
Yep. I have, I have a clan of people that are very interested in us moving to two services so they can get what they want in their service and all the new people can get stuff what they want in their service. But I believe you shortchange both congregations when you do that. First of all, you're creating division. Whenever you create different camps of people, you're just adding to something that already wants to happen in your church. And we don't want camps in the church. We want the church to be the church. So for me, I don't, I, I would, I would steer very clear of that model. And I would say, okay, uh, the older generation is missing out on what God is doing in the hearts and lives and the, the art and the fruit of great composers and music writers today. They're missing a blessing if I let them stay in the 1700s. And then my young people are missing on a fantastic heritage if I just give them their new stuff. So as a pastor, my job is to, uh, as uh, our book says in our study with Rick, disappoint people at the rate they can absorb. Uh, but good, good leaders, good shepherds give the people what they need and not what they want. Uh, so mm-hmm. I know that my people need good theology in a wide range of it. And I also know that what reaches that person in that pew is not going to reach this person in that pew. And I'm going to try to reach everybody with the music through the different categories I can and and help people learn that, you know what, I'm singing a song and maybe it's not blessing me, but look over at that young mom and look at her crying. It's blessing her. It's worth singing this to bless her today too, because it's not just about me and what I get out of the service. It's about giving too. Wonderful. Yeah. And in fact, you're referencing Todd Bolsinger's uh, Canoeing the Mountains, right? Yes, I absolutely. I just read that. And that was one of the things that got me thinking. It talks about some collaboration, things like that. that got me thinking, I know why we went to two services, but maybe it wasn't a good idea because you're missing some of those things. So I'm glad that you brought the book up. I really recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Or you can look at it as the opportunity. Yeah, because I've been involved in churches that have multiplied services. And we we made the decision to make the cert the the, church, the services mirror images of each other. Yeah, I think that's so for that very reason. Um, you know, Joe, one of these days when we're off air, I, I would love to have that discussion with you on, because you know, Paul uses that same terminology of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in both Colossians and Ephesians. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what's implied that we, that, you know, the Greek word is hymnos. We, we, we immediately think a genre of music. And I don't think that's what Paul had in mind at all. No, it's not. So we can, you know, we, we, and at the end of the day, like in that stuff, it is going to be subjective. And I, I am classically trained. I have a degree in music and I use the definitions that work for me. But I think that the definitions mm-hmm. that work for someone else would be different. And that would be absolutely okay. I think we're going to sing a little bit of all of it in heaven when we get there. Um, mm-hmm. Or it's going to be really repetitive if we're looking at what the angels are singing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but as we get down to that, ultimately, there is a wide variety and you have to find a way to categorize it. And then you want to Mm -hmm. provide a little bit of those categories for everyone. So I don't think it matters so much how you break it down. I do think that's a judgment call. Um, But I think it matters that you do have it broken down and you have categories else one you'll find yourself just singing, you know, awesome God at every service and well, okay, that's great. But it, maybe we need a little more too, you know? And so we'll tend to like my, my young worship leader that I've been developing she very much leans to the new stuff. She loves the new stuff and it's great. The only reason we sang Holy, Holy, Holy a few weeks ago is because it's on the list and she has to pick something from that category. And that's, <laughs> it's the same as expo- expositional preaching for a pastor. We have to put up guardrails to keep us off our soapboxes. We have to keep us uh, ourselves away from our pet peeves and our favorite messages. Um, and, you know, if we go through scripture organized, it keeps us preaching the whole council. If we put all the music out there and force ourselves, it makes us eat our veggies, you know? 
Hey, let me let me ask you this. As you know, I, I mentioned to both you guys, my my doctorate's actually in the area of, of liturgics worship. Okay, you know, so, so this is this is right up my alley as well. But one of the you guys know who Jack Hayford is. Uh, Hayford is is it was. Um, Wrote the old song, Majesty, Worship His Majesty Unto Jesus. Okay. You know, I know that's probably out of the 90s. Remember the Foursquare Church, um, you know, Pentecostal tradition. But he had a line that the, the Lord just burned into my heart. I'd, I'd like you to react to it, Joe, as a worship leader. And I think it strikes a balance. But he said, worship is to God, but it's for us. Okay? Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, yeah, because obviously if you're singing to somebody besides God, there's kind of a problem there scripturally. Oh, yeah. um, but the reason we get together and we sing is for our own benefits, for our own edification. We're encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is what Paul says. So if I'm to encourage other people, clearly my worship has a function that's more than just me and my shower worshiping God. Um, I'm supposed to use my gifts amongst the body. Um, but I, if I start focusing on man and uh, my, my wife and I visited a church in Oregon one time and it was going great until the pastor's sermon ended and the music guy got up there and just sang this hymn. And it was awesome. He was phenomenal musician. Um, but what he did was he took away the opportunity for us to respond with him by making it a special. And instead of, uh, blessing us with his music, it felt a lot more like we we're all supposed to enjoy his moment in glory. And then we noticed that they did that every service. He got a solo every time. And then it was like, well, are you singing to God or are you singing for the people? And now we're getting a little weird and getting into this celebrity concert venue where it's like, no, that's supposed to be everybody together doing things to God. Yeah. Good. So it's, it's to God oh, and for, each other. for us. And that's, you know, that's, that's why you select the genre of music, the meter and everything else, so that it becomes singable by the congr for the congregation, because well, it's to God, but for us. And we straighten out rhythms all the time. We make things unsyncopated, not because I think syncopation is bad, because it's hard. Uh, we make it easier to sing. We rip out bridges. We pull out oohs and ahs because those just aren't helpful. We simplify almost everything we have. In fact, hmm. we hear a new song on the radio. We're going to try Come What May by We Are Messengers. If you're familiar with that song, it's like, <gasps> and so, I mean, we're just straight up like just striking a bunch of the choruses and stuff and really simplifying it so that we can sing the fun parts. But it's simple enough to do that part together, but we're arranging it and we're making it our own. And I think, you know, that's really fun for a church too. When you have songs that are your own, that no one else sings them this way, but me and my church do, it's kind of nice too. Gives you a little bit of that family atmosphere. Yeah. Some of my favorite songs, I can't get anywhere else because they were in a church plan I was a part of in Ohio. And yeah. the, the worship leader, uh, wife of the pastor, we actually merged two plants, but the wife of the, the pastor, she wrote these and she would use them to like teach us Hebrew words. You know, that's, I can hear Dude, the songs. Nobody else knows. The them. natural progression of a good worship team is to go out and multiply, just like a church. The goal for every church should be to have a, a baby church somewhere else planted. You know, the same with your worship team. If you get your team developed and you grow them musically, they should absolutely be churning out their own music. I 100% think that's an awesome thing for people to be doing. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Look at that church. I mean, that church is phenomenal on two things, prayer and music. If you ever listen to... Uh, Oh, Jim Cimbala preach. It is unremarkable. Like I like the guy, <laughs> but it's just like, all right, 
But you listen to them pray and you listen to them sing and they've written all this stuff because of his wife. And I mean, Psalm 34, if we didn't have that, the church, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful song, but they've put out all this stuff because their church writes it. So you mentioned um, kind of specials a moment ago or solos. I grew up in a tradition where it was pretty normal to maybe not every service, but to have, that was the way to rotate through, not your main team, but maybe that's where you put a special instrument. Like, how do you handle that? Is there a right way to handle that? I don't know. There's a right way. I think it depends on your culture, but the culture I grew up in did the same thing. And we did it because we were glorifying certain people as better skilled at this than others. Um, And it just, it was unhealthy the way I saw it done. Uh, So what we do is um, every service we have, like, you know, that fluxy, vague opening thing. We're trying to encourage people to sit down and shut up and get ready for the service, you know? And so we do, (laughs) yeah, you know, and you got a timer going. Most people do something like this, you know, flick the lights in the foyer, all that. And so for us, we have an opening video that starts three minutes before the half hour and usually goes to one or two minutes after, and then we start. And what we'll do is if we have someone um, that really is is extra talented and wants to do a special or solo, we'll kind of put them in that slot um, because then it's not, we're all just sitting around wondering them, but it is, it sets a really good atmosphere. Sometimes the whole worship team will do it. Um, but at the end of the day, there's not a special group of people that get special time by themselves. Um, I think, and that's where we sort of draw that line, but each church is going to have to figure that out in their culture too. Do you tweak uh, lyrics sometimes all the time uh if you sing blessed assurance at my church it is not near as arminian as fanny crosby wrote it sorry um <laughs> there jesus saved me and drew me in i mean like i tweak lyrics all the time oh absolutely i mean if it doesn't fit what i want what what we're trying to go for theologically and you know and if you're a church that's arminian in nature and that's your belief then then tweak the songs that way you know i don't i don't i don't get begrudge anyone for doing it but absolutely if there's a song that you want to sing and it just needs to be fixed a little bit because it became anthropologically centric really fast um we always sang the Oh, the overwhelming sovereign love of God, because I don't believe God's love is reckless. And we can have that discussion all day, but we just switched it to sovereign um, or some people sing unending. I don't know. So yeah, we tweak it all the time. Why not? I really enjoyed someone doing uh, the driven or intentional love of God. That's kinds perfect. Of that of I like that reckless, too. I was allergic to that word too. <laughs> but are there, are there groups of uh, maybe popular today that... You can't just tweak their lyrics. I've heard some people say, oh, you know, regardless of of who wrote it, we can glorify God with it. Paul quoted pagan philosophers. But then I've also heard this argument where you can't use such and such group, Bethel Hillsong, Maverick City Music even, because ultimately you'll be supporting something that's too far in error. Well, and I think part of what we have to understand is how are we actually supporting And when you support people, when you buy their songs, when you play their songs on YouTube, you are giving them legit support, whether you know it or not. The sponsors are providing the support because you provided their numbers, um, but something's happening there. So for me, um, you know, the argument that says actually examine the lyrics, um, that argument will actually knock out like 90% of your issues. Um, Before you even go to avoiding Bethel Hill song or whatever, um, and, and for our church where I draw the line is I say yes, and then you'll find some Hillsong on our song list because it's part of our church identity and we love it. And when we sing it, we're not thinking about Hillsong. We just love that song. Um, so my answer is do what I say, not what I do. I don't know. You know, we've all got, you got to make some exceptions somewhere, right? Um, so for us, we, we, we try to avoid them. 
And the reason we try to avoid them is I don't want my church members looking them up during the week because they heard this song at church and that, that music leads straight to their teaching. And specifically, I draw a harder line with people that know they're intentional. For instance, you can find lots of clip of Bill Johnson talking about the best way to reach people's theology is to do it through the music, not the teaching. That means he's intentionally helping put out his theology and his music. So I see that as a little more nefarious than I would Hillsong, which is just straight a bunch, but I don't know that they're intentionally trying to teach their theology through their music. So I don't, I don't want my church members going out and then finding it. But at the same time, just because Shane and Shane shook somebody's uh, hand from the Hillsong band uh, doesn't mean we avoid all Shane and Shane anymore either because they're a great band. But if you will look at the lyrics of your music, you will find the Hillsong and, Be and Bethel are just not theologically robust at all. Hardly ever. And in fact, especially if you're looking for... Um, I just actually did a, a video on this. I heard the song, uh, help me believe I'm someone worth dying for. I don't think there's any better way to completely diminish the work of Christ on the cross than to believe you were worth dying for. Because the whole point of the gospel and the crazy love of God is that he loved people who were at enmity with him, who did not deserve his love, and yet he showed grace and favor. And that's why God is great. So when you find these songs to be anthropologically centric, centered on man and his experience, or you get into some of these Bethel songs, there's no meat there. There's no substance. And you can go listen to a song like In Christ Alone or His Robes for Mind or Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And these songs are clearly solid. So you want to choose what's best at your church and you want to choose what's best according to scripture. And with the multitude of options out there, very rarely are you going to be painted into a corner where Bethel or Hillsong is the only thing that will fit the bill. But I can say that we sing uh, Living Hope by Phil Wickham, who's affiliated with Hillsong. Uh, and that fits the bill in a way that no other song fits for our church right now. So we sing it. Also, we got into I Thank God by Maverick City as a church. And man, we all loved it. And then Maverick City jumped onto the Bethel ship. And I'm kind of like, huh. So we're not adding any new Maverick City songs. But we haven't taken that one out yet either, because it's just part of who our congregation at a crucial time in the ministry. A lot of people fell in love with that song. So I would say that if you'll actually go with the evaluating the lyrics rule, you're going to rule out most of their stuff anyway. And then obviously, sometimes we make exceptions. I really appreciate that the balanced and thorough answer. I mean, that's kind of the way I do it. And some things do come through. But it's interesting how you encounter people on all sides of that issue that can be pretty intense. I know music uh, tends to be the most divisive thing in the church, unfortunately. Well, and I think somehow, somewhere along the way, we divorced theology from the worship guy. And we expect the worship guy to be the dude who's got the cool jeans, the nice shoes, nice guitar, and a great voice, but he's not necessarily supposed to know his Bible. And there's another part of my philosophy. I think if you're going to actually have a full-on worship leader director, um, I think it's best if they're elder qualified, <laughs> just straight up so they can be on unity with the rest of the team. Maybe they don't need to be an elder um, exactly, but qualified spiritually for sure. And I'm, I'm on a Facebook group that's gigantic for worship leaders. And whenever I've commented on there, it's never gone over well. These guys just do not care. They're not worried about what the Bible says or why the Bible said it. My people like it. It feels good. My team does it. We sing it. And I think we do disservice by not mentoring our worship guys into Absolutely. being Bible guys too. Absolutely. As much as I dislike much of Bill Johnson's theology, you know what? I think he has a point. I think he's pretty right on when uh, oh. that people's theology is through the, the worship lyrics. They'll forget what we preach. You will. They will. In the parking lot, they've already forgotten it. They're already on, on you know, whether, yeah. where they're going for lunch. 
but they're going to hum those songs and those mm-hmm. lyrics are going to get embedded in there in the subconscious. And it's going to carry them through broken marriages, the loss of children, the loss of friends, tough financial difficulties. And that's why the old people are so sad to see the hymns go. It's not that they think the new songs are bad. Many times it's because that song we played at my dad's funeral and I need to sing it in church sometimes. And we lose that somewhere. Um, but also kids don't trust a faith healer that wears glasses. I mean, this is an easy one, right? <laughs> of just how much music touches the emotion. And we, we have an emotional connection to that particular song because of an event, a situation that happened in my life. And I, I can't get away from that connection. Um, and, and, and that's okay. Even, you know, the, the third category of song, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, there, there's some really debate what, what that whole phrase pneumatica hode that that song inspired by the spirit there's some real differing understanding of of, of what that means but it, it's at, at the bottom it's that emotional connection that i have with the song that then fosters my connection to the very heart of god and you know i'll say this guys i think we're in the minority here i'm sitting here talking to two pastors who both have cared about the worship in their things and sam's saying well i'm not a musician but i checked the theology uh, i would say that we're in the minority i would say most pastors are very happy to have the music off their desk and it's just gone and i think yeah. uh i think pastors got to take an interest and at least see that worship leader as someone who has an equal amount of effect on people as their pastor uh, very much so um Amen. if that music pastor is involved in it I have a whole thing with the music pastor deal. I, I was a music pastor for three years in South Carolina, and I believe the music pastor is the guy who does hospital visits with the pastor, but he brings his guitar and we sing songs around granny while she dies. I believe the music pastor is the guy who shows up to the funerals with the pastor and helps him have good music at grandpa's memorial service. Um, you know, bring that worship guy into the pastoral team, be pastors together, and you've got much more of a force for good rather than, all right, he's got the music covered. I'm good. Let's not worry about it because there's a reason we need good theology in our songs. They're going to go home humming it. You know, Amen. they're going to sing this in the shower. That's going to come back. Wow. I really appreciate it. Is there maybe something about worship sets and, and worship in general that we didn't ask that you want to share? Man, I don't know. I, I would just say that, uh, there's a few things that I've learned uh, in my church uh, over the last few years that are more important than I realized they were. Um, number one is call and response. And what people don't realize, I think, is that as our churches move towards projectors and away from hymnals and those sorts of things, which seems like an old argument to me, but it, it's a very valid argument in a lot of DHF churches, I'm sure, um, we're actually going older in our worship style. If you look at how the ancient Hebrews were singing, it was call and response. It was no music, musically illiterate people. The only people that knew how to play the instruments were the Levites. These are the people that were out there doing it. Um, We're actually growing older in the way we worship, not growing newer. We were growing more educated back when we were in the hymnal system. So I think it's very important for worship leaders to adopt an educated, educative mindset. I want to teach my people to sing well using the, the tools that I have. Um, and, and it's something we should be getting better at, not just the leader, but the guy. So I've learned that I will need to have an educational mindset with my group of musicians that hopefully will go out to my, all our small group leaders were trained in how to sing at their small groups. 
Uh, so we've got little mini worship leaders, people that they just hit play on a YouTube video and everybody sings along, but we're learning. We're learning how to do this together and growing that way. So I, I'd say that educative mindset and knowing that we're growing older and looking at old methods of teaching people how to sing because it's coming back around. This is how we, how we need to do that. And also the expressiveness of worship. Um, I didn't realize how much it mattered to me until I was in a congregation that, uh, you know, we, we run a tight race with the Episcopalians to be the frozen chosen. We really do. Um, and then I looked it up and, and there's so many commands in the Bible about raising your hands and clapping your hands and being a part of it. I don't know that I have the magic pill for this, but if there's a way we can help our congregations feel free to express themselves bodily in worship, it will greatly increase our worship experience. And I believe, I believe the Father is pleased when we do that. We have an Hispanic congregation that rents from us, and uh, they, they're more than renters. They've become family. But I love hearing their loud worship, and I'll go oh, and I'll yeah. sneak in the back, and I'll try to look on the screen. They use the same stuff that we do now, and I'll, I'll try to look up words or know what I need. But they are, they are dancing, and they're yeah. happy, and they're praising God, and they'll do it for an hour and a half straight, three times a week. Yep. And it recharges them in a way that I think we miss out on. It blows my mind that we have... People in our congregations, season ticket holders to football games, they'll miss church for three months straight, cheer their heads off, lose their voices at a football game, come into church and be mad when someone wiggled the wrong way during a chorus. It's, it's just unbelievable the disconnect we have. But we have a lot to celebrate if we've been saved, uh, a lot. And one of the primary ways we can celebrate is through our singing. Amen. Yeah. And that becomes a very valid teaching point. You know, the, the whole idea of bodily expressions and, and worship not just the raising of hands, you know, come, let us bow down together. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Yeah. All of those are physical expressions of worship that somehow we've lost when we became much more rational. Yep. And yep. less emotive. And, and we're more professional now. We, we, we feel like we're more civilized. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm reminding of, reminded of John Piper's book title, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. We're actually not called to professionalism in the church. As much as that might be valued by our congregations or the world out there, we're, we're, uh, we're called to authentic, genuine worship, which is going to look messy sometimes, which is going to involve some tears and some postures that are undignified. But I need to put my dignity and what people think of me and my self-consciousness, I got to put all that aside when I'm before the Lord. Uh, because that's what he desires, is me to come to him with all of myself. Speaking of professionalism, or maybe just polish, some of the best times I've ever had in worship is when the pastor or the worship leader or someone has said, you know what, this is what was on the agenda, but hold on, we're going to do this one again. Or Always a good you know, We're going to toss this song out. This is on my heart. Unfortunately, no one practiced. It's just me on the keyboard right now, but here we go. And yep. some of those spontaneous things Mm -hmm. are hard harder now because we were you know we gotta gotta stream it we got a time limit we got this and that and you gotta hit all these buttons but when they happen they're beautiful I, I think the nightmare for the tech crew is when you say the spirit needs to lead the service more uh, because the spirit is not living in that computer he's not living in that slideshow he's not in the audio mix um i don't know where he goes but the tech team is left trying to play catch up and 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 you know there is a group of people working behind the scenes at most churches that truly desire excellence and good and they're using their talents for god and i think when the worship pastor and the pastor do that they lose their minds um but it's good for all of us you know <laughs> Hey, let me, let me ask you one last question. Or, sure. This will be my last question, not necessarily the last one of the interview. Um, obviously, Joe, you have a very musical background. 
<laughs> okay. If you could recommend one book, something like that, to a pastor who doesn't have the musical background, but wants to grow in their involvement in appreciation for and leadership in worship, what, what's, a, what's a good resource that you could recommend to that pastor? He means me. You recommend oh. me. <laughs> well, I have two books that I think matter a lot and have helped me a lot. Okay. The first one is Bob Coughlin's Worship Matters. Um, that presents a great philosophy of music and worship uh, that's just unreal. It's really the gold standard. Bob Coughlin's Worship Matters, widely accessible, really great book. But ultimately, ultimately, what the worship you need, what you need to develop good worship in your church has nothing to do with the skills available to you. I believe every congregation is able to produce effective, fruitful worship with the gifts God has placed in that congregation. If you can convince the congregation to help you, there's a guy that can slap a tambourine. There's somebody that can sing that just hasn't told you yet. Um, and the mix of variety that God has put in your church is unreal if you can find it. Um, and I think we shortcut that and we jump to the professionals and we sing along with videos and we add in the backtracks. Man, if you will actually just mine your congregation for what God has given you there. You're going to find something that looks like no other church and it's going to be awesome. But my, the book that probably has helped me the most in worship leading has nothing to do with music. And I would actually encourage anyone to start there. It's by Matt Papa. It's called Look and Live. Um, and it's actually a lot about his journey out of pornography addiction as a worship leader and growing into a worship leader. Um, he works, I think he's the music pastor for J.D. Griar's church. Um, but Matt Papa and how he talks about the heart of the worship leader the relationships of the worship leader are the most important part of having good worship at your church. Because if you get that heart and those relationships to come together, good things are going to happen. And it actually doesn't have anything to do with a skilled keyboard player. That's an awesome added bonus. I'm in an unfair advantage. My wife plays piano and harp and I play guitar. That's not fair. I understand that. I have a leg up. Um, but I also believe that what God has put in each church congregation, he's given you what you need to make the sound that's going to work for you. And it's going to be awesome. And yeah, we, we got to start with the heart and the relationships, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I, I've been blessed by our conversation. It's definitely going to influence some changes I was already working on and praying about. Uh, so I really appreciate it. And I hope everyone listening, whether you think... Uh, you know, whether you think you're an only him guy or an only music guy, we'll love you anyways. You're still welcome yeah. in, in, in DHF, right. but Good. but we hope you've learned uh, a little bit and been blessed a little bit. Right. Yeah, thanks for letting me do this with you guys. It was awesome. I, it was really fun. To I can see, see you having you again. Uh, you were one of the first names I thought of. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think, Joe, thanks. Thanks. That's thanks a wrap. for taking time. Thank, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs>